Welcome to Let's Talk Gender Balance, Mazar's podcast series that explores issues related to gender, diversity, inclusion, and more generally, the advancement of women in organizations. In each episode, experts will be invited to discuss their experiences, findings, and difficulties, as well as their advice and convictions. Our commitment, provide you with practical and concrete answers and solutions. No jargon, no waffle. Listen to Let's Talk Gender Balance on all podcast platforms and on Mazar.com. Dear listeners, welcome to this first episode of the new Mazar's podcast series, Let's Talk Gender Balance. I'm Otman Abdemoumen, Communication Manager at Mazar. We are delighted to start this series by delving into Mazar's recent publication in partnership with the Observatory for Gender Balance, The Myth and Barriers Preventing the Progression of Women. Who better than Cecile Kosov and Marie-Christine Maeas to tell us about them? Hi Cecile, you're Chief Brand Marketing and Communication Officer and Global Diversity and Inclusion Leader at Mazar. Hello, Otman. Hello, Marie-Christine. You're Head of Mazar Center for Diversity and Inclusion. Thank you for joining us. Hello, Otman. And nice to meet you too. So, Cecile, why this publication? Can you tell us more about it? Yes, of course, with pleasure. And it's quite simple after all. What are we talking about? We're talking about the representation of women on management and executive committees, where we see only 23% of women today uh, overall, while they represent nearly 55% of the graduates of the world. So here we see a real mismatch with, with the existing talent pool. And the numbers are even lower when we start looking at this women CEOs where we are barely at 6 or 7% of women represented in these positions. This means that it's not as we enter the workplace that the problem lies, actually. Since at the source, at the beginning, we see an equal number of women, which we don't find at the end of the talent pool. The problem is not at the source, it's that it is in the system. The system is dysfunctional. There is something in the corporate machine that doesn't work. The corporate elevator is broken for women something or a number of things are happening that are causing women to drop out or to be left out. Mazars has looked into this subject for a long time, um, and so have I personally. With the Observatory for Gender Balance, Mazar uh, has been a partner of the Observatory, um, and which, which is an extremely prestigious and effective think tank on these issues. We wanted to understand and look into the roots of this subject. Actually, it's not a new subject. Companies have been dealing with this topic for over 15 years now, all over the world. And it's a subject that everyone is talking about. It's on, on many companies' agendas. Companies have put in place and are still putting in place a lot of measures. But we see that despite all those efforts, we are not making enough progress. We are making progress in the countries where there are quotas, typically in Europe. Uh, quotas on, on boards of directors, but we see that this progress has not really trickled down to the management committee's levels. With the Observatory for Gender Balance, Mazar wanted to take a closer look at the barriers and myths that are holding back women's progress. And we have identified eight myths in particular, which are very deeply rooted in cultures and mentalities and which act as key barriers in women's professional development. Thank you very much, Cecile, for this very comprehensive introduction. 
I'm very intrigued. What myths did you identify and how did you discover them? We've identified eight myths in total. I'm going to talk about three of them and I let my colleague Marie-Christine comment on the other ones as well. The first myth that we looked at closely was the famous myth that you all know, we all know it, that women have less or no ambition. This myth about women's lack of ambition, and I invite you to read our publication, is the first myth that we explored with an interview of Ingrid Bianchi, who is the founder and managing director of Diversity Source Manager, which is a firm specializing in diversity, who offers us an interesting vision of the subject. This myth that women have no ambition is an old stereotype. We've heard it many times. Society has long imposed the belief that women are limited in their professional development because they do not necessarily want, have the desire or the appetite to climb the ladder. That's what we hear. And this also goes hands in hands with this kind of vision that women have primarily a family role, right? And that their place, fundamentally, since they are the ones who bear the children, is first and foremost with the family, which creates two major problems if we really want to summarize. The first problem is that women will themselves internalize this obligation, which is imposed on them by all the existing social codes or social norms. And the other problematic aspect of this is that in companies, we end up with this sort of latent bias uh, which tends to picture women as perhaps less motivated, less efficient, because they have this double focus or obligation in their lives, right? Uh, which fathers don't have, by the way. Obviously, there is a lot more to be said on this topic, so I invite you to read our publication on this subject to learn more about this myth. The second myth we are going to talk about is the one about the invisible woman. Armel Carmina Tirabas talks about it very well in our publication. Armel is president of the MEDEF Inclusive Enterprise Committee, among many other functions. The MEDEF is the largest employer federation in France. And to speak about this myth, I will leave the floor to my colleague Marie-Christine Mayas. So Marie-Christine, what are we talking about when we talk about this invisible woman? We're talking about the phrase that keeps coming up when we are looking to promote women to senior management positions. But we can't find a competent candidate in the talent pool. In fact, Armel explained to us very well that very often the female talent are there, even if it's true that the corporate elevator does not always work, and that, in fact, we lose women at each level. It is important to observe that there's not just one glass ceiling, but there is one on every floor. But if we do things a little differently, if we change our lens a little, if we rethink the notion of performance and work with objectified performance criteria and work a lot on biases, we realize that in fact the female talent are there. They are in the company. We just don't see them. We haven't put in place the professional and meritocratic approaches which really allow them to climb the ladder. That's why, obviously, very often, when it comes to finding a CEO or a member of the executive committee, well, we don't find a candidate. But in fact, the point is that you have to change your lenses and start looking better. So Cecile is now also going to talk to you about myth number five in the publication, which is about part-time work. 
there is the myth that that part-time work is not compatible with leadership roles. This myth is developed by Virginie Chauvin, who is a partner and member of the executive committee of Mazar in France. And Virginie is also an expert on these subjects. So, Cécile, what is the myth about part-time work? Well, it, it was and still is very prevalent in people's minds that part-time work is, in the end, an obstacle to professional development or that it's not possible when, when you have a management position to work part-time. This belief goes hand in hand with the idea, of course, that a management position implies to be present at all time without interruption and obviously means very, very, very long working hours. Clearly, part-time work is not conceivable if we define the performance culture ultimately in terms of number of hours. Fortunately, things are changing a little bit, and in particular were accelerated by the pandemic and the generalization of remote working since we've really started to think about performance in a different way, based on results and not just on the number of hours on site. Actually, today, we try to look more at the individual level, um, at individuals and their performance, much more in relation to who they are, what they produce, the value they bring, and not in relation to the number of hours they work every day. This myth is really important because it's really penalizing, especially for women, because if we associate performance and management positions with long hours of uninterrupted work, obviously we are penalizing those who have somewhat a double burden and have to do other things in a day than just doing work. We are all well aware of this double burden. We're talking about household cores, childcare, family care, caring for the elderly, just to name a few. In this context, part-time work often allows women who have ambitions to be able to fulfill their ambitions while at the same time having a certain flexibility that allows them to combine the two. It's really important that we break this myth to start putting in place good practices and different ways to think about performance. Thank you very much, Cécile and Marie-Christine, for presenting this first myth. I will now move on to the next myth. Motherhood is not compatible with a leadership position. Marie-Christine, what can you tell us about this? This is indeed a major myth, and of all myths, one that affects women carriers the most. In our publication, it was developed by Aurélie Leblanc, who is the Thailand director at Crédit Mutuel Arkea. This is one of the biggest challenges. How do you treat pregnancy as a simple absence, like any other type of absence? After all, there are many ways to be unproductive at work. We know people can be in the office and busy with something other than work. Nevertheless, absence due to pregnancy is often perceived as a kind of big gap, a big hole in a career, a complication, a productivity gap, and you can be seen when you come back to the office as an outsider, someone less involved, less motivated, and ultimately as someone less available. So seeing pregnancy and then motherhood in this way is actually a big discrimination. It's not fair and it's not true. It's not true because it could actually be seen as an opportunity to optimize, to reorganize, and to give someone a chance to take on new responsibilities for a little while. It's an opportunity to exercise leadership when you decide to see it in that way. To conclude on this point, it should also be said that a young woman 
would have less to fear from maternity-related discrimination in the workplace if paternity leave became the norm. Thank you for this answer, Marie-Christine. Indeed, we realize that there is still a long way to go before this vision becomes the norm. I now turn to myth number four in the publication. Women are risk-averse. Yes, this is a myth that was developed by one of our experts, Hortense de Roux, who is the president of Grandes Écoles au Féminin. Grandes Écoles au Féminin is a network that gathered together uh, alumni from um, French major schools. Grandes Écoles au Féminin recently conducted a study showing that risk-taking does not depend on gender. Only 3% of respondents consider that gender influences risk-taking. In other words, men and women clearly take the same risks. But then how do we fight this misconception? When organizations are faced with risks, it is clearly that gender diversity is an asset, that it will have a positive impact, particularly on innovation and cooperation, which are two levers for growth. As each person has a different relationship to risk, diversity allows these different relationships to be reconciled and interwoven. Thus, difference is not a problem but an asset, provided that there is no social or cultural asymmetry between the two. Thank you, Marie-Christine. Let's move on to myth six. Gender inequalities are mainly found at the top of the corporate ladder. And myth seven, there are men's jobs. Marie-Christine, what is your analysis and how can this myth be deconstructed? Yes, these are two very interesting myths that were developed by Anne-Sophie Nomblot, who is the president of SNCF Mixité. SNCF Mixité is the internal network at SNCF focusing on gender balance. Very often, the debate on inequality between women and men in companies focuses on management functions and the difficulty for women to access management positions. In reality, as we have already said about other myths, the inequalities and difficulties exist long before that. There's not only a glass ceiling, but multiple barriers that make women's work more complicated. It prevents their full participation. It prevents their advancements. In order to tackle the barriers women face, we need to debunk the idea that gender diversity is only a problem at the management level. It is not the only glass ceiling. Many inequalities are also prevalent in environments that were designed for men, by men. And while we are seeing an increase in the diversity of employee profiles, practices are not really changing. If we take some jobs, such as train drivers, since we're talking about SNCF, they have historically been considered men jobs. However, today there's no reason why women cannot drive trains as easily as men. The work no longer requires the physical strength that it did when trains run on coal. Working hours are not necessarily a problem for women. After all, ticket inspectors are as often women as men. So if everything was initially designed for men, it is time to demystify certain gendered professions and invite more women into them, which will help practices to evolve. It is also important in parallel that women allow themselves to work in jobs that are perceived as masculine, particularly in the digital economy and the environment, 
as well as in more technical jobs, because they are the jobs of tomorrow. Thank you, Marie-Christine. Why is it important for leaders to work on these aspects? And why should it be at the top of the agenda? What is at stake for an organization in terms of gender balance is performance, talent attraction, development and retention, but also compliance and the respect of the law in given markets, and also the understanding of these markets and the suitability of teams to the formation for the market. More generally speaking, gender balance is a question of leadership through the example you set, through the values you demonstrate. Thus, the active role of leaders is essential, aligning the management team with a development strategy that reflects the challenges and culture of your company is only one precondition for sustainable progress. The leader and her is executive committee need to understand the issues of gender diversity, recognize the challenges and objectives associated with it, and then determine a roadmap based on existing best practices. In this way, the executive team becomes the driving force behind the gender balance roadmap, ensuring the effectiveness of the approach. Well, thank you very much, Marie-Christine. So, Cecile, following on from what Marie-Christine has just told us, quotas can be a real positive lever for generating change, right? Yes, absolutely. And the, the facts prove it, actually. It is, in fact, thanks to quotas that we have seen an acceleration in the representation of women on boards of directors throughout Europe, throughout the countries where quotas have been imposed. This is where the myth of quotas needs to be deciphered a little. What do we often hear when we talk about quotas? We hear that quotas are anti-meritocratic, that they are unfair to men, or be careful with quotas, we risk putting incompetent women in positions of power. Well, no one likes quotas because deep down, we like our freedom. And we have this hope that, in fact, all we have to do is to rely on the willingness uh, to create the changes that need to happen. And also there is this fear that with a quota, we risk compromising quality by ticking a bit of a quantitative box. This is part of the fear around quotas. However, quotas should really be taken and used as an objective with a time frame. And then the achievement of this objective will determine whether there is a bonus or a sanction. It's important to understand that these quotas are not mechanisms that consist of giving more fuel to women so that they can run faster, but rather it's a mechanism that actually help set up a real meritocracy. Thank you, Cecile. Marie-Christine, how can Mazar support organizations in their gender balance efforts? So we have a team of Mazar partners, both men and women, who are experts in gender equality and change management, and who can accompany an executive committee through one or more working sessions based on the analysis of the organization's data and the synthesis of interviews conducted with each member of the executive committee. So the management team is then placed at the center of the process to achieve the gender objectives and becomes the sponsor of the roadmap, thus ensuring its sustainability. Well, thank you very much, Cecile and Marie-Christine, for your time and insights. It was a real pleasure to have you here. Thank you, Otman, for having us. Thank you very much, Otman. Dear listeners, please visit mazars.com to download the publication Myth and Barriers Preventing the Progression of Women, 
to start taking concrete steps to break down prejudice in your organizations. Also, you'll find out more about our gender balance services. We look forward to seeing you again in a future episode. You've just listened to Let's Talk Gender Balance, available on all podcast platforms and on mazars.com 